Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 26. We're going to be looking at verses 57 through 68 this morning. Our message series is called Lead Me to the Cross. And uh, together we are following Jesus in his last days to the cross on Calvary. Uh, So far, we've walked with Jesus through his anointing at Bethany, uh, through his last supper with the disciples last week, uh, through his heart-wrenching prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and today we come to his trial. Jesus' trial was complicated, okay? The Jewish leaders wanted to put him to death, but they had no authority under Roman law, to enforce the death penalty. So they went through a sequence of steps. First, they brought him before the Jewish Sanhedrin uh, to to determine his guilt under Jewish law. Then they brought him before the Roman governor, Pilate, to secure the death penalty. Pilate was very reluctant uh, to put Jesus to death, so he sends him off to King Herod. King Herod then sends him back to Pilate. Pilate. Pilate finally gives in to their demands. And we're only going to look at the first of these trials this morning, the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, before Caiaphas, the high priest. And it is a courtroom drama matching anything you've ever read in a book or would see on the TV. What you will find in this drama is an innocent man who was judged unjustly so that he could go to the cross for you and me. So we're in Matthew 26, and I'm just going to read verses 57 through 60 as we get started. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Beginning at verse 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would help us not only to understand more about this a trial that Jesus went through. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from ourselves. Lord Jesus, that we might learn from your example uh, how we are to respond when, when we're treated unfairly, uh, when we are treated unjustly. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would teach us now by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So we'll begin with that question right there. Have you ever been treated unfairly? Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? You know, there's nothing quite so offensive to us as being mistreated or wrongly accused. We all want to be treated fairly, right? And when someone accuses us of doing something that we didn't even do, we bristle, don't we? We get frustrated. We get all up in arms. We say, how could you treat me that way? How dare you accuse me of that? How dare you even think uh, that I would do something like that? We don't like it when people judge us unjustly. And if you have ever been treated unfairly, then please take comfort in this. Jesus knows what you're going through. 
Jesus knows what it is like to be mistreated and judged unjustly. And we see this very clearly in his trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus' trial was the worst case of injustice ever perpetrated in all of human history. Okay, think about it just for a moment. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, was judged worthy of death by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. We're going to look at our passage this morning in three different sections. There's an outline in your worship guide if you'd like to take that out and follow along. All three sections are noted there. First, we're going to look at the trumped-up trial, and then next we'll look at the silent defendant, and finally we will look at the coming judge and king. So we begin with the trumped-up trial. The trial of Jesus before Caiaphas was hastily arranged and was full of illegal proceedings. Now you've got to remember, the religious leaders had originally planned to arrest Jesus when? After the feast, right? After everyone went home, okay? They weren't planning on doing it just, you know, right then and there. But when Jesus announced his betrayal at the Last Supper, that sentence set all the plans into motion. Their plans were suddenly accelerated. Judas goes, he tips off Caiaphas. Caiaphas convenes a night session of the Sanhedrin at his house. They send off the temple guards to arrest Jesus in the garden. And that brings us to our opening verses now, verses 57 and 58. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, there is so much wrong with this picture, okay, you hardly know where to begin. Okay, first of all, the trial was supposed to be held in the temple courts. That's where you held the trial, not in the house of the high priest. But you see, the temple is closed at night, and so they had to choose another meeting place. Secondly, a night trial. This was highly irregular, and in capital cases where you are seeking the death penalty, it was actually forbidden. A case seeking the death penalty had to take place during the daytime. Strike two. Furthermore, although you could acquit an innocent person on the same day as their trial, in other words, you're holding trial and they're found innocent, you can tell them that day, you're innocent. It's over. It's done with. But a guilty verdict had to wait until the following day, the day after the trial. And because of that, you could not hold a trial on the evening of a Sabbath or festival day. This is the night of the festival. So they are meeting in the wrong place at the wrong time, seeking the wrong charges against the wrong person. Jesus' trial was full of illegal proceedings. And there's a sad note that Matthew makes in verse 58 where we see Peter following Jesus at a distance, sneaking into the courtyard and sitting down with the guards. And I want you to pay close attention to those words. Peter followed him at a distance. Because Peter's sequence in this chapter is devastating. First, he boasts to Jesus on the way to the garden. I'll never fall away. 
Then he fails to watch and pray in the garden. Next, we see him following Jesus at a distance. Then we see him sitting down with the guards, sitting down with Jesus' enemies. And from there, it is only a short step away to his three denials of Jesus in the courtyard. You see, we never deny Jesus all at once. There's always a downward progression in our lives. So let me ask you this morning, how is your walk with the Lord today? Are you following Jesus closely? Or are you following him at a distance? Jesus' trumped-up trial not only involved illegal proceedings, but there were also false witnesses and a predetermined outcome. Look at verses 59 and 60 now. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. So they're looking for false evidence against Jesus. This is a court of law. Aren't they supposed to be looking for true evidence, right? For true, why are they looking for false evidence? They weren't looking for true evidence because there wasn't any. There was no evidence against Jesus, and they wanted a conviction. And now Matthew tells us many false witnesses came forward. And you read the other Gospels, we find out that the reason their testimony didn't stand is they didn't agree with each other. They all had different stories. It's like the old joke about the, the four college students who arrived late for their exam. And when they came in, the teacher said, that's okay. And she sat them in four different corners of the room and gave them a sheet of paper and said, just got one question for your exam today. Which tire was flat? Okay, right? Yeah, all of a sudden, right? It's, it, it, it's not easy to get false testimony to agree. And so, it works much better when you tell the truth. And so, that's the problem here. Remember, they had to throw this trial together in a hurry. They didn't have time to put a plan into place, or to coach the witnesses, to put a strong case against Jesus. And so, instead, they have this flurry of false witnesses whose testimony does not even agree. Not only that, this trial also has a predetermined outcome. Right? A trial is supposed to be open-ended. Right? You examine the actual evidence at hand in order to determine the truth. In this case, they're looking for false evidence against Jesus. Why? So they could put him to death. The ending of this trial is a foregone conclusion. Jesus will receive the death penalty. They just have to find a way to get there. And so his trial is full of illegal proceedings. You've got false witnesses, a predetermined outcome. And then you also have distorted testimony against Jesus. We see this in verse 61. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And notice Matthew says, two came forward. Right? That was Jewish law. No one could be put to death without the testimony of at least two witnesses. So you know, they scraped together the bare minimum here. Okay? They're, they're going for all they've gotten. This charge was a serious one. Right? If Jesus had really threatened to destroy the temple, then perhaps they finally had a charge that would stick. But unfortunately, their testimony was based on hearsay and distorted 
what Jesus had actually said. What what Jesus said is recorded for us in John chapter 2. Jesus said this, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus never said that he was going to destroy the temple. No, he told the religious leaders, he said, hey, you destroy the temple, right? You do it and I'll raise it again. And John says that the temple he was speaking of was his body. Ironically, in condemning Jesus to death, the Jewish leaders are actually fulfilling his prophecy. Because Jesus' body will be destroyed. They're the ones who are going to do it. And he will rise again on the third day. Have you ever had people misquote you or twist your words or, or use your words against you? See, Jesus knows what that's like too. Jesus was arrested like a violent criminal under cover of darkness when he had been openly teaching in the temple courts all week long. He was subjected to a trial filled with illegal proceedings, a trial that involved false witnesses, a predetermined outcome, a trial that produced distorted testimony of his actual words. There's no way around it. This was a trumped-up trial where Jesus was falsely accused and treated unjustly. And how did Jesus respond to all these charges? The Bible tells us he was a silent defendant. A silent defendant. Through it all, Jesus refused to answer. He stood silent before his accusers. Look at verse 62. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained Silent, And here we have the ultimate face-off, okay? So far, Caiaphas has been sitting down, but now he stands up and he faces Jesus. And Caiaphas may be the current high priest, but you know what? Jesus is the true high priest of God. And so here you have one high priest facing off against another high priest, right? Will the real high priest please stand up? Caiaphas thinks Jesus is on trial before him, when in reality, Caiaphas is on trial before Jesus. And Caiaphas is amazed and probably frustrated at Jesus' silence. And you might be wondering yourself, Jesus, why don't you speak up? Why don't you defend yourself? They're twisting your words. They're bringing false accusations. Well, there are a number of reasons Jesus didn't speak up. First of all, he was fulfilling scripture. We read from Isaiah 53, verse 7, earlier in the service, speaking prophetically of Christ, hundreds of years, centuries in advance, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The scriptures foretold that Jesus would be silent before his accusers. And secondly, Jesus chose not to defend himself because he had his sights set on the cross. Now here the religious leaders are there. They they think they're rigging this trial. We're going to make this all work. We're in control. Jesus knew that his father had determined long ago, even before the creation of the world, that he would die on the cross. And so even though Jesus was silent before his accusers, he continued to pray inwardly to the father, lead me. Lead me to the cross. Now today, when a person remains silent in court, 
It's usually because they're guilty, right? <laughs> you know, they plead the Fifth Amendment. They say, I refuse to answer on the grounds that may incriminate me. You see, that was not the case with Jesus. The sinless Son of God stood silent before his accusers, not because he was guilty, but because he had come to die. And that took incredible strength, determination, and resolve. Finally, Caiaphas, frustrated by Jesus' silence, Caiaphas puts him under oath. Look at verse 63. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. This was the most solemn oath possible. There was no higher oath in court than to swear by the living God. And when charged by this oath, Jesus was required by law to answer. By the way, this was another illegal proceeding in the trial because it was against Jewish law to require a defendant to incriminate himself. And now this is the height of the showdown, right? Between the two high priests, Caiaphas puts Jesus under oath and now Jesus must Answer truthfully the question put to him. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And so from here we move from the trumped-up trial and the silent defendant to the coming judge and king. Jesus has to answer, so now he opens his mouth. And in answer to Caiaphas' question, Jesus confesses his true identity and future glory. Verse 64, yes, Jesus replied, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I like what one commentator says about this. Jesus therefore declared under oath before the highest Jewish court, indeed before all human history, that what Caiaphas said was true. You know, it's interesting because throughout the Gospels, if you remember, Jesus always kept his identity a secret from everyone except those closest to him. Time and again, he gave strict warnings to people, don't tell anyone who I am. But now the secret's out. Jesus' hour has come. And so he freely confesses, yes, I am the Christ, the Son of God. But then Jesus goes even further. He quotes from the Old Testament, from Daniel 7 and Psalm 110, weaving them together, referring to himself as the coming judge and king over all the world. He speaks of himself as the son of man. The book of Daniel uh, speaks of the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, Psalm 110 speaks of uh, Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And so Jesus comes forth and he proclaims himself as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, and the coming judge and king over all the world. And he does this under the most solemn oath possible while standing before the high priest and the highest Jewish court. This is just too much for Caiaphas, okay? Look at verses 65 and 66. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Now, it was highly unusual for the high priest to tear his clothes. It was actually forbidden 
for him ever to do that except in cases of blasphemy. And so here Caiaphas tears his robes and he accuses Jesus of blasphemy. Only problem here is that Jesus has not actually committed blasphemy, right? The words Jesus has spoken are true. And even if they were not, even if this was someone else standing up there, claiming to be the Christ and the Son of God, uh, a charge of blasphemy required that the guilty person speak the name of God out loud, which if you'll notice... Jesus did not do. He was very intentional there. He simply refers to God as the mighty one. Once again, Caiaphas will take what he can get. It's close enough. He repeats the charge of blasphemy twice. He asks the court's opinion. He is worthy of death, they replied. Once again, it was not legal to pronounce a guilty verdict. The same day, that's what they do, right? It's not legal until morning, but the stage has been set. The final verdict will be delivered at dawn the next day, right before they bring Jesus to Pilate for sentencing. But in the meantime, Jesus is mistreated and abused. Look at verses 67 and 68. They're sort of playing this very cruel game of blind man's buff with him. Where We know from the other Gospels that they blindfolded him at this time. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? And this was yet another fulfillment of Scripture. We read in Isaiah 50, verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. It was also a fulfillment of Jesus' own words. Because he himself had prophesied this mistreatment at the hands of the Jewish leaders. We saw it all the way back in Matthew 16 when he was uh, walking to Jerusalem with his disciples. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. Another irony here. Here they are striking Jesus and mocking him and telling him to prophesy. And in doing so, they are actually fulfilling his earlier prophecy. They're doing just what he said they would be doing. And so Jesus was not only falsely accused, he was also physically mistreated and abused. From beginning to end, we see in Jesus' trial before Caiaphas the unjust treatment of an innocent man. Jesus knows what it is like to be treated unfairly. In conclusion, let me share with you three applications from today's message. Once again, all three are on the insert in your worship guide. First of all, when Jesus returns, he will judge the world justly. He will judge the world justly. The prophet Daniel shared his vision of the end times and In Daniel chapter 7, he writes, As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. The Bible tells us there will be another court on another day. 
and another trial. But this time the judge will judge justly. Every wrong will be made right and every sin will be called to account. Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 5, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Jesus was subjected to a trumped-up trial with false witnesses, distorted testimony, a predetermined outcome. He was mistreated, accused of blasphemy, even though he spoke the truth. Jesus was judged unjustly, but when he returns, he will judge the world justly, in perfect justice. Second application. When Jesus judges us, we will be silent before him. Do you know that? It's it's in Scripture. When Jesus judges us, we will be silent before him. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. That's all of us. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. And so just as Jesus was silent before his accusers, so we will be silent before him. But unlike Jesus, we will be silent because we are guilty. You see, when Jesus judges us, there will be no more excuses, no self-justifications, no alibis. Every mouth will be silenced before him. Because he sees it all, he knows it all, and he judges justly. Jesus was silent before his accusers because he chose to be silent. But when Jesus judges us, we will be silent before him because we have no other choice. And then finally, application number three. When you are treated unjustly, don't retaliate. Trust God. And this lesson is drawn out for us in, uh, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When you are treated unjustly, everything in you will just screams out for revenge, right? But don't do it. Don't do it. You are called to follow Christ's example. And when you are treated unjustly, don't retaliate. Trust God. Jesus was judged unjustly, but he will judge justly when he returns. Every mouth will be silenced before him. Caiaphas will be there. Pilate and Herod will be there. You and I will be there. And if you do not know Christ, you will pay the penalty for your sins. 
But for those of you who are in Christ, you will be saved. Ed Welch writes about this passage. God was on trial. The world was judge and jury. And this was the path that Jesus chose as the way to rescue the shamed. The path he chose to rescue you. The cross is the best and quickest summary of what God says to unworthy people. He always says, I love you first. And so the lesson of Jesus' trial before Caiaphas is an especially beautiful one. The judge is your friend who gave his life for you so you would be saved on judgment day. Oh Lord, lead me. Lead me to the cross of Jesus who died for me. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, we're, we stand amazed when we look deeper into this trial and see all of the, the wrong that was done against you. It was part of your passion, part of your suffering. You did it for us. So when we go through these same things, we will know, first of all, that you understand. And secondly, we'll know how we are to respond. Lord, when we are treated unfairly, help us to quiet our lips, quiet our hearts, and trust in you. For you are God, and you are good. We pray in Jesus' name.